So we've been in a, a series this summer uh, looking at the um, sort of the issues in our culture, the issues in our society that are uh, sort of at the forefront, controversial issues. And we've, we've spent a week uh, going week by week looking at, at each one of these uh, issues that are, are very much uh, changing in our culture uh, or, or maybe need to be changed back in our culture. And we've been looking at what the Word of God says on these. And last week when I, I, I spoke, I, I mentioned that um, I thought that that message would be the last message. Uh, some of you laughed, and rightfully so, because it's not... Um, I'll have one more message in our, our summer series, and as I begin to, to think about um, bringing a message that hopefully will tie everything back together and help us, and we've been talking about the, the things that are happening in the world that is changing and, and how we need to stay uh, fixed to the Word of God, but this morning what I really wanted to do is I wanted to present a vision for you as a believer in Christ of how we can safeguard ourselves, how, how we can make sure that we do not ourselves personally or together as a church fall into the lies and the deception that are leading our world astray. And so while, we, while we've been looking at the way not to go, uh, today I really want to share with you what I believe the Bible is saying on the way to go for us as God's people. And so you'll remember that in the first week, we looked at a message that I titled, God's Authority or Our Autonomy, that really there's two ways to live life. And, and if, if Jesus is who he said he was, and he is, amen, we, we sang that this morning, he is, he is who he said he was, if he is God in the flesh, if he is God with us, Emmanuel, then the only reasonable response for us as, as people is to obey him, to follow him, to submit to him and to his word, that he is the creator, and that what our culture is crying out for, our culture that has gone astray, is what they're crying out for is autonomy. We want to be autonomous. We want to be an authority unto ourselves. We want to follow our own hearts and not follow after Christ. And so uh, I, I want to bring another message in that theme and sort of bookend this series on these two uh, ideas. And I want to uh, look at Matthew 6.33 this morning as the key text for this. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 Jesus speaking, this is the Sermon on the Mount, uh, the most famous sermon that was ever given, ever delivered. Jesus says this, Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence that is here with us when we gather. Lord, you promised that when we gather in your name, under your lordship, that you would be here with us, two or three. Lord, there's a little bit more than two or three who are here today. And so we know for certain that you are here among us. Lord, your presence moving in our hearts, your, your spirit being poured out as we worship you. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for you meeting with us, your people, whenever we come together. Lord, that you are present here with us. Lord, as we spend time in your word, that you would speak to each one of our hearts. Lord, all of us who are here today, we've gathered from so many different places, so many different ages, so many different stages and, and walks of life, so many different backgrounds, yet we're here today because of you. We're here today because of the work that you have done in our lives. 
You are the reason we are here. And so, Lord, help us apply your word to our hearts. Help us to live these words out. Help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and to do it in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I find it uh, interesting that our Lord gives uh, marching orders to us, his people, and, and he outlines for us the first priority in our lives. In this passage, he says, seek first the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that, that this is what we should be living for as God's people. And you would think that if Jesus would write down for us our first priority, that all of us would live with that as our first priority. And unfortunately, the truth is probably that that is not the case. Unfortunately, even for all of us who claim to follow Christ and have believed upon him in faith and have trusted in him, unfortunately, probably most days, if we were being honest, we would admit that we wake up and immediately get about our day get about our plans, get about what we need to do. That oftentimes we make it through the day and maybe you remember at the end of the day, oh my goodness, I haven't even prayed today. I haven't even opened the word of God today. Maybe you're like so many where two or three days go by, a week goes by and Sunday's rolling around and or maybe three weeks have gone by and you've forgotten Sunday and, oh my goodness, I, it's been a month. And Jesus here says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What a kindness this is to us that Jesus, our Lord, wouldn't make it unclear what a kindness it is to us that he has made it abundantly clear how we should be living our lives. What should be our priority? What should be first? He says, but seek first. So he's, he's making a, a statement of contrast here. And so he's contrasting this way of living here of seeking first the kingdom of God against other ways of living. And so with this statement where Jesus says, Buck, seek first the kingdom of God, he's calling upon us, his followers, to live a life that is totally different from the way the people around us live. Radically different. Of course we know that the world is not seeking after the kingdom of God, right? That should be obvious to us. As we've walked through this series, seeing what the world is seeking after and, and how that value system, that way of thinking is not only incompatible with, with the Word of God, but is actually an active rebellion against the Word of God. And it's, it's obvious to us that the world is not seeking after the kingdom of God. But is it equally obvious to us that the church is seeking the kingdom of God? It should be, right? As obvious as it is that the world is rebelling against God, it should be equally as obvious that the church is doing the opposite. That the church is seeking first the kingdom. Though we are in this world, we are not of the world anymore. That there should be a different vision for our lives than the, the vision that the world has calling us to live distinctly different lives than the rest of the world. So what is, what is, what is Jesus speaking about? Well, if you, if you look at the larger context, he, he's, seeking a, he, he's talking about, if you look at the, the verses prior, 
Verse 25, he says, don't be anxious about your life. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, about your body, what you will wear. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse 27, he says, which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? By, by worrying about all of these things that the world is so worried about. I don't know if you've noticed, the world is kind of preoccupied right now with some things. There's a little bit of worry out there. Have you noticed that? A little bit of anxiety. How, you know, how high are the gas prices going to go? Is, is this, world, this war in, in Europe, is it turning into World War III? Does our president have cancer or does he have COVID or... Does he even know what he has, right? It's like, well, what, what, what is going on in the world? All, all of these fears, all of these anxieties that the world is worried about. Jesus says, do not be anxious about these things. He says, if, G, if, God, if God takes care of the birds, will he not take care of you? Will he not provide for you? If he clothes the lilies of the field in, in more splendorous array than King Solomon was clothed with, will he not take care of you? He says, oh, you of little faith. Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what will we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles, that's... That's the world's way of thinking when Jesus uses that term. Seek after these things. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added to you as well. We see the world seeking after so many things. But do we see the church seeking after the kingdom and God's righteousness? The word seek, of course, means to search for, to pursue, to chase after, to desire, to work, for, work towards. I find this idea incredibly convicting. I hope you do too. I hope that's why you're silent today. I hope it's not because you've fallen asleep, but I hope that it's because you're being convicted to pursue the kingdom of God, to chase after the kingdom of God, to desire the kingdom of God and God's righteousness in our lives. Is that what we're searching for? Is that what we're seeking for? Is that what we're pursuing after? Or if we looked at our lives and the, the way that we think and the what, things that we spend our time and our money and our energy and our efforts and our resources on, would we see a distinct difference between us and the world? Would we see a small difference or would it be almost indistinguishable? Pursuing the kingdom. This, I want to I provide for you some definitions. What, what is this kingdom of God? We don't live in a kingdom today. We live in a constitutional republic. Amen. The, uh, you know, whenever the, something goes on in, in England and something with the royal family and then all this, you know, drama or, or gossip breaks out about the royal family, I always remember this meme and it makes me laugh. It says, I quit caring about the royal family in 1776. That, that's when I quit. But we don't live in a kingdom. We don't live in a kingdom. And so it, 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 sometimes it's hard for us who, who live in a constitutional republic of the people, by the people, for the people, that we import our vision of government onto the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not a constitutional republic. The kingdom of God is not a government of the people, by the people, for the people. The kingdom of God is a monarchy. It is the king on the throne. A kingdom is 
a place where the king rules, where the king reigns. That is a kingdom. The king's word is, is total. The king's word is absolute. In a monarchy, the king's word is sovereign, totally sovereign. His word is the law of the land. Which is quite scary when you have a horrible king. Which is why it's much better to, I would say, submit to live in a, in a system of government that protects us from, from the depravity of men's hearts. But our king is not a man. Our king is not, uh, the Bible says that in God there is no shadow due to change. There's no variance. Our king is, is not uh, dictated by the whims of his emotions and and how he feels one day. Our king is not a tyrant. Our king is benevolent. Our king is love personified. It is the best thing in the world to live under the perfectly holy and righteous king of kings. It is a wonderful thing. We do not play a role in the governance structure of the kingdom of God. We do not take a vote. We do not amend his laws. We, there's no constitutional process to make amendments. You know, his word is law, unchanging. How does a king rule? A king rules again through his word, through his laws. And our king likewise rules through his word, which is unchanging, which is not being added to anymore, which is not being amended, is not being updated. God's word, the Bible says, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. The psalmist says that God has exalted his word above his name. God's word is constant. God's word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the kingdom of God, if a, if a kingdom is the place where a king rules and a king rules through his word, the kingdom of God is the place where God rules and where God reigns. That is the kingdom of God. Which brings us to the question is, is, is this, is the kingdom of God here now? There's debate about this. There's some that say the, the kingdom of God is a future reality. It's not a present reality. That when Christ returns, and how many of you are looking forward to the re return of our Lord, amen, when he returns, that when he returns, he will establish his kingdom. But is the kingdom here now? Now, I, I want to look at some passages here today and, and I want to establish for you that God's kingdom has been established. So we're in Matthew 6. Flip back to Matthew 3, just a couple pages in, back in your Bible. This is before Jesus comes on the scene. The prophets from the Old Testament had said that before the Messiah comes, that there would be a forerunner who would go before him to prepare the way. And the scriptures tell us that John the Baptist was that forerunner. And in verse uh, uh, 1, it says, In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That, that means it's, it's here. It, it's about to break forth. What God's people have been waiting for, the, the, the kingdom of God, it is at hand. 
It's upon us. And because of that, because of the arrival of the kingdom, John begins to preach to God's people that they need to turn back to God. That they need to turn back to God as their king. That they had not been following him and living under his law and under his rule. And so they must turn from following their own hearts, their own desires, and they must turn back to God. Repent, he says. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now the story as it unfolds, Jesus goes and we know that he is baptized by John. That when he does, the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends upon Jesus in the form of a dove. And God the Father speaks from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That immediately after this, Jesus goes into the wilderness and he is tempted by the devil for 40 days. He does not give in to the temptation of the devil. Instead, he overcomes by submitting himself to the word of God. And then Jesus goes forward in the power of the Holy Spirit. And in Matthew chapter 4, let's look at Matthew chapter 4 now. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, Jesus fresh out of the wilderness. Verse 12 says, now when he heard, Jesus, that John the Baptist had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. So that, was, so, that was, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. That, that what Jesus is doing is in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies that God had made to his people about who the Messiah would be. Specifically, the place where the Messiah would set up his ministry was predicted in, in great detail. And where the one would come from. That he would come from the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Those are the, the area of, 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 of Nazareth. That, that he would come from there. But that he would set up his ministry near the Sea of Galilee. The way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Galilee of the Gentiles. This is Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. That the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region, the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And then verse 17, Jesus said, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven has arrived. The kingdom of heaven is right here. This is what John the Baptist taught. This is what the Lord Jesus taught. If you'll flip forward with me a few more pages, back to Matthew chapter 6. Starting in verse 7, Matthew 6, 7, this is known as the Lord's Prayer. Let's look at verse 9. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I would submit to you that Jesus would not teach us to pray for something that it's not God's desire to fulfill. So John preaches the kingdom of heaven has arrived. Jesus preaches the kingdom of heaven has arrived. And he teaches us to pray that God's kingdom would be established in heaven also on earth. Not only in heaven, but also on earth. And again, would Jesus teach us to pray something that's out of alignment with the will and the desire of God? Well, of course not. He's God in the flesh. In Luke chapter 11, we're not going to take time to turn there, but in Luke chapter 11, Jesus casts out a demon spirit. And those who on, uh, watch it happen, the, the people who are opposing Jesus, they give this accusation. They say, Jesus, they say that Jesus is actually a servant of the devil and that he's casting out demon spirits by the power of Satan. 
which is quite an accusation. And then as Jesus responds to that, there's one section I want to highlight for you. It's Luke eleven twenty. Jesus said this, but if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, and again, we would all agree that it's not by Satan that Jesus is working, it's by the power of God. If by the finger of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God, ladies and gentlemen, was brought from heaven to earth by Jesus Christ. When Jesus came, he established his kingdom. What is the kingdom? It is the place where the king rules. The rule and the reign of the king. Now, I know this is somewhat technical this morning. I'm going to make it practical here in a second. But there is some confusion about the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ... And the church, the institute that God established to take his gospel to the ends of the earth. And some people conflate, they they mix, they combine these two things saying that the church, the institute of the church is the kingdom of God. That the kingdom and the church are essentially the same thing. But I would submit to you that they are not the same thing. Because the rule and reign of God is not limited to the realm of the church. As we've looked, as we've gone through uh, the series, you'll remember I gave a, a message on the relationship between the church and the state. And in, in that message, I, I brought out that God rules not only over the church, but that Christ reigns over the state as well, over every nation. And so the kingdom of God is not limited to the realm of the church. The kingdom of God is not limited to anything. That Christ rules and reigns over all, the Bible says. Of course, the church is a part of the kingdom of God. And and our local church is a part of God's kingdom. And when we gather, we declare that we are part of the kingdom of Christ that Christ rules here in this gathering. We are submitted to him and we are submitted to his word, that we are under the lordship of Christ. But again, the lordship of Christ extends far beyond this local church. And the, local, the, the, the lordship of Christ extends far beyond the global church. The lordship of Christ extends throughout the whole world. Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, presently reigning, seated at the right hand of God. You remember Ephesians chapter 1 says that as as Jesus died, that God rose, raised him from the dead, lifting him not only from the grave to our plane of existence, but lifting him from the grave all the way and seated him in heaven at his right hand. And it says that when he did that, he, he put him over all rule and all authority and all power and all dominion over every name that is named. And then Paul goes on to say, in this age and the age to come. So, so it's not only in the age to come that Christ reigns, It's in this age that Christ reigns. Above every name, above every dominion, above every power, Christ reigns. We sang that this morning. God, you reign. God, you reign. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven, Matthew 28, these passages are very familiar to us. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, not will be given to me one day, has been, past tense. Christ reigns now. Psalm 110, verse 1, this chapter, Psalm 10, Psalm 110, I say is God's favorite Bible verse. 
because it's the most quoted passage in the whole Bible. Psalm 110 is quoted or alluded to over 30 times in the New Testament. Over 30 times the New Testament authors look back to, pull from Psalm 110. In verse 1 it says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. That Christ is reigning now. That the Father said to the Son, sit here at my right hand until your kingdom fills the earth. Until I make your enemies your footstool. Christ reigns now. The kingdom is here now. We are part of that kingdom now. And Jesus tells us, his people, that our highest priority in life is to seek the kingdom of God, to pursue the kingdom of God. And so what does this look like? Okay, Jesus is king. He's king. Maybe you're not sold yet that that Christ rules the nations. Maybe you're not sold yet that his kingdom is without end and that his dominion is from east to west and north to south. Maybe you're not sold on that yet. Maybe you're just sold on that Christ is your king as a Christian. Okay, I'll speak to you. Okay, I'll speak to you there. I'm convinced that Christ rules the nations. But I would submit to you that as a Christian, you must at least acknowledge that Christ is your king. Amen? That Christ is your king. So as our king, when he says that we must seek first his kingdom, what does that mean? Well, if the kingdom is the place where the king rules, it means that we must submit ourselves to the present rule and reign of Christ through his word in every area of life. That's what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. To submit ourselves to the word of God, to the word of Christ in every area of my life. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says that he purchased us, that he ransomed a people for himself, that we were enslaved to sin, and Jesus purchased these slaves, setting us free from the power of Satan, setting us free from the dominion of Satan. And when Jesus purchased you, he didn't purchase 50% of you. He didn't purchase 90% of your life. When Jesus redeemed you, he redeemed all of you, 100%. He is our king. We belong to him. And if we're going to seek first the kingdom, it means to apply his word in every area of our lives. This is why it's important that we distinguish the kingdom of God from the the structure and the institute of the church. Because if we think that the kingdom of God is only the church, then we only apply God's word to our church life. Then we put church over in this little category and those are my spiritual things and, and these are, you know, I pray here and I worship here and I seek the kingdom here and then I have the rest of my life that I live. No, 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 no. The kingdom of God overarches your spiritual life here, the church, but also every other area of your life. The Lord rules and reigns over every area. And so Jesus, as I said, Jesus is calling upon his followers to live a different kind of life than the rest of the world. To see Christ exercising his lordship over every area of our lives. So Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That's an all-encompassing statement. He, He uses two words to make sure we understand that he's talking about everything. He said, whatever you do, so that's anything you do, do all of it to the glory of God. So whatever you do, do all of it. Can you think of anything that doesn't fit inside of those two categories? Of whatever you do and everything that you do. 
All to the glory of God. That, that is all encompassing. So every thought, every action, every deed, every word must be done, not for my glory, not for my own pleasure, but for God's glory. This is the saving grace of Christ touching every area of my life. Jesus said the kingdom of God is like baking a loaf of bread and, and how you have to add just a tiny bit of leaven to that loaf. But that tiny little bit works its way through the entire loaf of dough, lump of dough. The kingdom of God, if you are a Christian today, the kingdom of God has come into your heart and into your life. But it's not to just stay isolated in this tiny little corner over here, my church life and church world and church friends. and It doesn't, you know, isolate it, separate it from my work life, from my family life, from my love life, if you have one, from my, uh, you know, from, from, from every, from my entertainment life, from my thought life. No, 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 the kingdom of God it, it should, should fill our whole lives. There, there should be no place that the grace of Christ, the saving grace of Christ doesn't touch in our lives. This starts with our thought life. It starts with our thought life. The Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It starts with our thought life. 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul says that we must take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. So how's your thought life? Are you taking every thought and making it obedient to Christ? I said I was going to make it practical. This is the practical part. Every thought. Again, you notice the all-encompassing statement. That there's no thought outside of that, of that statement. He doesn't say, take your church thoughts. He doesn't say, take most of your thoughts and make them obedient to Christ. He says, we take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. That means that we are responsible for what we think. Now, I understand we live in a world, a fallen and broken world. I understand that you can't drive down 410 without seeing... People in bikinis, 40 feet tall. Advertisement for lift that, tuck this, enlarge that, just. <laughs> and so we living in this fallen and broken world, we will come across things, thoughts that we don't want to think, that we don't want to see. But when we do what we must do, is take it captive. We arrest it at that moment. And we say, you obey Christ. You obey the word of God. You start praying in those moments. Asking the Lord for his help. And, and watch how those thoughts will flee. What about thoughts of, of condemnation? What about thoughts of of thinking that you are less than or lowly or, or, or maybe you've been, you know, as a child, you suffered under verbal abuse and, and people ripping you and tearing you down. Are those thoughts to be taken captive? Absolutely. Why? Well, because the word of God says there's now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The word of God says that we are the head and not the tail, that we're above and not beneath. Amen. So when those thoughts come in, I must take those captive and make them obey Christ, make them obey the word of God. Again, Jesus began this passage by talking about the things that make us anxious, the, the, the anxiety, the worries, the cares of this life. If Jesus says don't be anxious about anything, and we are anxious about everything, there's a disconnect there. We must take those thoughts, we must take those fears, we must take those worries, we must take those anxieties, and we must take them captive, and we must say, Christ is my king. 
He is my provider. He is the one who will take care of me. That no weapon formed against me will prosper. And make those thoughts obedient to Christ. What do you find yourself thinking about? The kingdom of God? How can I obey Christ and his word in every area of my life? Or do we find ourselves thinking about other things? I would submit to you that Jesus, by saying, seek first the kingdom of God, is saying that the kingdom of God should be our preoccupying thought. In every moment, at every place, wherever we go, in every interaction, that we should be thinking, that we should be searching for, how do I live as a citizen of kingdom, of the kingdom of Christ, right here, right now? What does it look like for me right now to submit my life, my thoughts, my words, my actions to the word of God, to the lordship of Christ? That's what it means to be seeking first the kingdom of God. How do I live my life in a uniquely distinct Christian way? What does it look like for maybe you as a software engineer? How, what does it look like for a Christian software engineer? How do I write code as a Christian? What does that look like? How do I bring glory to God right here doing what I'm doing right now? That's seeking first the kingdom of God. Maybe you're not a software engineer. Maybe you're an automobile mechanic. Well, what does it look like for me to be a Christian automobile mechanic? To be an automobile mechanic that is submitted to the Lordship of Christ. That I do all for his glory. That every turn of the wrench, every change of the oil, I'm doing it as unto the Lord. I'm doing it to bring glory to Christ. To think in these categories, to think in these terms. Well, if I'm doing it as unto the Lord, it means I better be doing my best. It means I better be doing it with excellence. It means I'm serving him by doing this, so I must do 100%. That I must not cut any corners. That I must not lie, I must not steal, I must not cheat Others, other people. That I bring the kingdom, the values of the kingdom, the word of God into every area of life. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, which is a, is a career, is a full-time job. Not only being a mother, but being a, a stay-at-home mom. How, how do I do this as unto the Lord? How do I do this in a uniquely, distinctly Christian way? What does that look like? What passages of scripture do I need to go to and submit to to seek first the kingdom of God and his lordship in this area of my life? From the truck driver to the doctor to the politician. How many of you would like it if more of our politicians thought this way? Amen. Amen. But it's not just the politicians. How many of you would like it if your doctor thought this way? Amen. If, if, the, if your mailman thought this way? If your Amazon delivery guy thought this way? And you wouldn't find the packages in the bushes or at your neighbor's house, you know? The, the, the paper boy who throws the paper in the sprinklers, right? I mean, if every, this is what it means. How, how do I live as a citizen of the kingdom? If you're a single person, how do I live as a single person under the lordship of Christ? That's going to look different from those who are married, even from those who are widowed or divorced. How do I, how do I submit my singleness unto the lordship of Christ? How do I... Uh, uh, Advance the kingdom of God while I am a single person. As a single person, uh, from, you're somebody that has more time on your hands. So how do I use that time to bring glory to God, to advance his kingdom? Maybe you're newly married. You don't have, uh, or maybe you're married and don't have children. You also have more time on your hands than a family that is married and has kids or, or the single mom or the single dad that has kids. And so, okay, how do I seek first the kingdom of God in this place where I am right now, where God has me? What does that look like? Maybe God would even lead you to consider adopting some kids, to bringing some kids in that you could plant the kingdom of God in their hearts. 
Or maybe serving at a youth center where there's underprivileged kids or kids that are growing up without a mom and a dad that are on the brink of being snatched by the world that, that the extra time you have on your hand, you could invest it. This is what it, to think in these categories is what it means to seek first the kingdom of God. It's not just, well, I show up at church and I give in the offering and I sing here and there. No, it's the kingdom of God in every area of life. How do I advance the kingdom? How do I seek first the kingdom? What does it look like where I'm at right now? If you're married, how do I relate to my spouse and the way I'm treating them? Am I speaking to them the way I should be? Am I loving them the way I should be? Am I serving them the way I should be? Under the lordship of Christ, obeying my king. If you're a parent, how do I parent in a distinctly Christian way? Parents, I would submit to you that your parenting should look radically different than your next door neighbors who don't know Christ. Radically different. I.e., you should be parenting. It's not the government's job to raise your kids. It's not the teacher's jobs at school to raise your kids. God placed those kids in your life. So what does it look like to be a parent in a distinctly Christian way under the lordship of Christ? Maybe you're divorced or maybe you're widowed. Maybe you're an empty nester or maybe you're a grandparent. The point I'm making is that at every age, at every stage, in every interaction, that Christ would rule and reign and that this is our preoccupying thought to seek first the kingdom of God. To see the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of Christ, the lordship of Christ worked into every single area of my life. One last passage, we'll flip over there to there quickly, Romans chapter 12. I invite our worship team to come and prepare as we get ready to take communion. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. What Paul writes here, and he says that as we do this, as we do what Jesus said, as we seek first the kingdom of God, that that in and of itself is spiritual worship unto God. That worship is more than the songs that we sing. It includes the songs that we sing, but it's bigger than that. Paul says, submit your life to the Lord. Be renewed in your mind. Be renewed in your thoughts. Don't be conformed to the world's pattern. Be transformed in your thinking. Seek first the kingdom. And as we do that, we are worshiping our God. We should view our lives that all of our lives are to be lived as worship unto the Lord. Again, we are not autonomous. We are under God's authority. To seek first autonomy is rebellion against our King and against our Savior. And so the question I want us to consider today as we wrap up is where in my life am I not submitting to the Lordship of Christ? Where in my life, where in my life do I see that I am just out of step with what God has revealed in his word? Where in my life do I need to bring myself under Christ and his Lordship? In my marriage, in my occupation, in my parenting, in my schooling, in my education, in, in the way I'm speaking to others, 
Where has, has Christ directed me and I am not living in obedience to him? If you're here this morning and you answer, well, I don't know. I seem to be doing pretty good. I would submit to you in love that you need to read the Bible more. That you need to be a little more acquainted with the directions of your king. That you need to allow the Lord's word to, to permeate your heart. That, that if you're here today and you say, I, I, I don't know, I, I seem to be doing pretty good. I think I have it all on lockdown. I would encourage you to repent of either one of two things, your lack of reading God's word or your pride. We need to be more acquainted with the word of God, allowing the Holy Spirit to convict our hearts. How do we not fall into the pattern of this world but transform our minds, renewed our minds? It's by the word of God. It's the word of God that transforms our minds, our hearts, our souls. So where do we need to submit to the Lordship of Christ? I would encourage you to do that today. That as we take communion, that you would come and that you would lay that on the altar and that you would receive the bread and the juice. I want to remind you that Christ, our King, that he conquered through laying his life down that he, he conquered through suffering. Before Christ was exalted, he first was humbled. So the pathway forward in the kingdom of God, the pathway up is the pathway of humility, of repentance, of submitting ourselves to God and to his son, Jesus. And Christ does not call us to do something that he himself has not done. But when he calls us to take up our cross and follow him, we're following the one who took the cross for us. We're following the one that said, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done when he prayed to the Father. That he submitted himself to the Father's will and he calls on us to do the same today. And so where do we need to submit to the Lordship of Christ? May we do it today with joy as Jesus went to the cross with joy that was set before him. Even though there is pain, even though it might hurt, even though it might require some humility on our part, let us remember the one that came from heaven to earth to serve us. And let us be inspired by his sacrifice as we too lay our lives down for him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is that lamp unto our feet and light unto our path. God, help us to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness, knowing full well that all of these other things will be taken care of. We give you the glory and the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.